Welcome to the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Will Cheshire. And in this podcast, I speak with impact-driven founders and share their real-time stories about how their solution has a positive impact on society. This is a show for founders, investors, and all individuals looking for some positivity and optimism as you hear from people working hard to help better our society and our planet. You can expect to learn about some awesome new products and services in this show that will bring you more hope in our quest to solve some of society's biggest issues. Let's dive in to this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. We're flipping the script and talking solutions from an investment perspective as I chat with the founder of Satgana, Roman Diaz. Satgana is an early stage climate tech venture capital firm that's on a mission to invest in the next generation of planet positive startups. They invest in pre-seed and provide seed capital along with strategic and operational support to help entrepreneurs and founders build massively scalable and impactful companies. And what really drew me to Sadhgana is their willingness to invest at an early stage in startups and founders and their commitment to solving the climate and ecological crisis in places like Africa, where they suffer from being one of the most affected by climate change, but are among the ones that have the least to do with it. You'll find this episode valuable as you learn more about what Sadhgana looks for when they invest in startups and their mission help move planet positive startups forward. Let's get into this week's episode of the Talk Solutions Podcast. And Roman, how are you today? Yeah, doing very well. Thank you and yourself. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for asking. And I, I want to just get things started a little bit and have you explain just exactly what it is that Satgana does and why it's such an important solution to the world today. And so the listeners can get a good idea and we'll go from there and, and start getting into our conversation. Perfect. Thank you, first of all, for having me and for all the good work you're doing on uh, broadcasting uh, the voice of many other innovators trying to make a dent in the big problems that uh, we're um, uh, facing today. Uh, so uh, to your question, I think I'll go the other round of first starting with the problem and then going with what we're doing about this problem. So. Problem. I think most of your listeners, if not all, would be uh, very aware that we're facing facing a big crisis uh, of uh, climate change and other environmental issues such as biodiversity and plastic waste and uh, water and other resources depletion. So really, an environmental crisis, among which uh, climate is very much at the forefront right now. And um, we think that there's. Uh, whole lot of solutions and um, uh, changes we need to do uh, in the way we do things, uh, both uh, as a society and individually. Um, and we think that innovation has a role to play. We don't think that innovation is going to be the silver bullet that is going to get us out of this crisis, but we think it has a role to play. And um, we can go a bit more into details, but basically what we do at Satgana is that we are uh, providing both early stage financing, as well as a lot of operational and strategic support to entrepreneurs that build technology enabled solutions or technology solutions to the climate and ecological crisis. In short, that is what we do. I love it. I love it. It's fantastic. And, and based in Europe at the moment, but I do know that you have people kind of spread across the, the globe. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. So we focus primarily on Europe because that is where most of our team members and collective, and I'm happy to delve a little bit more into who our team is and, and so on. Uh, but basically, uh, most of our team is based out of Europe, really across uh, different countries of mostly Western Europe. 
And uh, so that is our primary market where we intend to invest. But we also have a keen eye on certain emerging markets, notably because I spent about 10 years on the African continent. Uh, and we do have one portfolio company in Africa, in, in um, Kenya, namely. And we keep a keen eye on certain emerging countries where we think um, there is opportunity and there is um, a big problem that we need to also tackle and see from that angle of the global south. Uh, so, and that is also part of a longer-term strategy to launch different funds, uh, more ge geographical-focused uh, funds. But we'll go into this. But so, yeah, most of our team is based out of Europe, and we invest mostly out of Europe, but with a keen eye on certain emerging markets. Fantastic. And, and Roman, too, you mentioned so many things that I, I want to ask questions about within those last couple answers. I mean, we're we're in a climate crisis. There's no doubt about that. With so many things changing, and we've certainly seen it this summer again uh, with just record temperatures. I mean, I think the UK, or was it Scotland, in the UK and Scotland, you know, for the first time they hit the high recorded temperatures since they started recording their highest temperatures. So that's certainly an issue. And I want to get into that problem too. But I just want the listeners to, to understand and, and get your background a little bit as well. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and leading up to the Satgana and what made you feel that, hey, you know, I need to make, I need to do something about this. Like, I feel like I have the tools to do it and, and I'm going to go ahead and do so. So go ahead and share a little bit about your background uh, and that'd be great for us. Thanks. Sure. With pleasure. So um, as you might hear from my accent, I'm originally from France. That's where I grew up for the first 20 or so years of my life. And then uh, as soon as I could, I decided to go into different countries to really explore the world. Uh, and I spent quite a bit of time in emerging markets. Um, so I was, um, I've always been an entrepreneur since I graduated from my business school about 10 plus years ago, uh, 12 years ago, actually. And um, I was initially part of an early stage company that ended up becoming the first unicorn out of Africa, uh, which is called Jumia. It's uh, basically, some people refer to it as the Amazon of Africa. So it's an e-commerce platform for Africa. Uh, I was in, in Morocco in the very early days, in the founding year. And then I joined another, and that was founded by a famous, infamous incubator called Rocket Internet. Um, then I joined another uh, incubator slash VC fund uh, out of South Africa. Then I co-founded with a few partners a venture studio in South Africa, in which we've been uh, launching a number of ventures, mostly in the fintech space. Uh, so I humbly served as, as a CEO for about five years, uh, deployed the fund, which is now uh, on track to deliver uh, really interesting returns for investors. And I would say about three, four years ago, I had a bit of a, I would say, how should I call it? I can call it either identity crisis, I can call it awakening, I can call it uh, just a bit of a shift on um, the realization that business uh, is a very powerful force, uh, the private sector that can have either uh, detrimental uh, impact or positive impact depending on the way it's looked at and the way it's done. And so I started to um, really look into the big issues that humanity and the planet are facing starting from the angle of the Sustainable Development Goals from the UN, and then delving a little bit more into details and uh, really realizing that uh, climate change and other environmental issues are really um, 
so urgent and so deep and so ingrained in everything that we do, in the way we eat, in the way we move, in the way we heat ourselves, in the way we basically live. So very much like every sector of the economy is causing this crisis that we're in. And it's a long-term thing. It's not like a, an emergency that's uh, really hitting and then we're going to get rid of it. It's really, um, basically, we've been creating our own uh, uh, this problem for the past 200 years and we literally need to change everything in the way we live if we want to correct course. So when I started to really understand uh, the problem the, and started to see a couple of solutions in all across all sectors, I decided that it was time for me to really focus all my time, attention, focus, money, energy into trying to bring my uh, best possible contribution uh, to the climate crisis. And obviously, I took it from the angle of what I knew what to do. Uh, to do so, that was uh, very much around early stage companies because again, I realized that. Uh, Innovation and startups, entrepreneurs, and early stage financing has a big role to play. Again, it's not going to solve everything, but it definitely has a role to play. And so, yeah, I really realized that I wanted to create a good company that would have positive impact in the world. And that is how the idea of Sadgana came. And so Sadgana in Sanskrit means a good company. So that's what we're trying to be for the world, is to try and have a positive impact and to do the right thing and also to inspire others to join the journey. And so that was about, I would say, four years ago. Uh, and that was really just an idea until, um, I would say, beginning of the pandemic. That's really when I started to be full-time on that venture. And I've been joined by a number of wonderful people. And then fast forward to now, we started to deploy capital and, and so on. So I can tell you a bit more about the journey of from founding to now. But, but basically, that's the whole story that led me to uh, decide to dedicate the rest of my life to um, trying to bring my biggest possible contribution to the climate and ecological crisis. That's a beautiful, beautiful story on that front. And, you know, you mentioned the climate and, and ecological crisis that we have, and, and we're going to dive into exactly what Sakana is doing and in, in providing for these uh, early stage companies that are working to solve these problems as well. But I want to talk a little bit too about your, your primary, because you mentioned a couple of times, you know, having so much experience in Africa and really kind of focusing your efforts on there and, and stuff like that. And one thing that I like to remind people, and I think is really important, and, and I'd love to for you to expand on this as well, is Africa probably is one of the places that's suffering the most from, from the climate and ecological crisis, but probably has the least to do with a lot of it as well. Um, and, and I think that for us and, you know, for example, people in the U.S. or in parts of Europe or in Australia or whatever, you know, we can talk about it all the time and kind of say, hey, we have a crisis and stuff like that. And, and you know, we certainly see some effects from it. But I feel like a lot of those effects are, are already kind of occurring in Africa, whether it's through farming or things of that nature as well. So I'd love for you to just kind of uh, explain a little bit about how Africa is is currently struggling and, and seeing these effects and, and how it's impacting them in, in certain countries within that continent. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you summarized it really well. Um, I think um, Africa so far has contributed to about 3% of global greenhouse gas emissions uh, since the Industrial Revolution. So it's, uh, it is something, but it's a, a very minimal fraction of what other countries like uh, the US and, and Europe and now China and now uh, India coming into play and other countries have contributed. Um, and yet, as you said, uh, Africa 
among others, among other emerging and developing uh, countries, is suffering the most from the climate crisis because of droughts, because of floods, because of um, uh, uh, just uh, uh, difficulty to grow food. And um, obviously, and not obviously, actually, it's, uh, it's not that obvious, but the reality is that it's something that hits the most um, women and vulnerable communities, coastal communities, uh, form, farmers, of which... Um, uh, hundreds of millions of people depend upon uh, for for the living, no insurance, etc. So there's both an um, uh, climate injustice, uh, and as well as so th there's two things. One is that um, unfortunately the climate crisis is already hitting uh, developing countries, and so because of that we already need to adapt, and we need to do it early enough that we don't do it when. It's hitting the most, so we really need to already think about climate adaptation and resilience. But we also need to do mitigation efforts because Africa is growing fast and many other developing countries, and obviously India is, is a big example as well, is that um, they're also increasing really fast in terms of greenhouse gases emissions. So if we don't already think about how to generate green growth, that is going to be detrimental and is going to contribute more to the global agenda. So there's always a bit of a tricky question. Uh, obviously, us coming from um, more developed nations, having contributed the most, and now feeling like we need to clean up our mess. And we can't really tell people in other developing nations that they need to do it differently. But at the same time, it is true that we also need to be on a path to green growth and do things differently. So that's where, again, climate justice comes into play. That's also where development uh, comes into play to also help these nations to be on a path to green growth. And so, yeah, there's lots of uh, things to talk about, but uh, the high level, I believe, um, context is, is, is that one. And we're really trying to shape our investment thesis in that uh, direction as well as taking into account local communities and, and local voices in order to do so in a way that is not only informed by um, white, uh, privileged, Europe-focused voices, but really uh, taking into account all voices from the ground up. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk a little bit about some of the that expertise that your team provides and, and your guys' ability to kind of help these companies kind of come through with these different areas and, and to kind of innovate and grow in a way that's a little bit more sustainable and things of that na nature as well. So, you know, what are some of the things that Satgana really focuses on uh, when you really kind of begin that early stages of, of kind of investing into a company and, and kind of working with them. Let's take a quick time out to talk about my book recommendation for this week. And this is The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. And Reese defines a startup as an organization dedicated to creating something new under conditions of extreme uncertainty. Boy, does that not sound familiar? And I'm sure it does to you as well. I found this book to be really, really interesting and a little bit, um, outdated if you would today because it came out in 2011 but i still think it's a really important book if you're a startup founder particularly if you're just getting going with your startup it really really tells and teaches a lot of great lessons about shortening your product development uh, life cycles measuring actual progress without resorting to vanity metrics and learning what your customers really really want and it enables a company to shift directions with agility altering plans inch by inch or minute by minute 
according to the description. And for me, it's something that makes a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, when you're talking about iteration and things of that nature in your product development life cycles, you want to make sure you provide a lot of flex flexibility and agile development principles, in my opinion. I know that that's what we do here over at Chesh Tech, my service company, when we work in product. It's very much making educated decisions based on data and being very agile and flexible. So it's a really, really great book. It's going to help you um, not waste any time. It's going to help you uh, be more efficient with your time. And it's going to help you avoid writing those dreadfully long business plans, right? Because it's all about the agile development and moving quick. So I highly recommend that if you're a startup uh, founder, especially if you are one with a product. You will learn so much about how to be lean and fast and agile with your development life cycles. So with that being said, let's dive back into this episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. So there's um, two main stages. One is pre-investment. The other one is post-investment. Pre-investment, so we source a lot of opportunities. Um, Our deal flow currently comprises about 500 companies that we've looked out Obviously, with the funnel, so some of them are just not fitting into our scope. Some of them we quickly see that we don't think they're going to be viable or they're just not for us because too early stage, too late stage or whatever. And then we obviously have a pipeline, we have a funnel. And within investable opportunities, we carry the diligences with a number of them uh, that we think can have big impact and big commercial success because we're also a, um, we have fiduciary duty to our LPs and we aim to generate financial returns. And I can also explain why we believe financial returns are also part of the equation and need, or at least in the way we do it, we think that they are, they need to be correlated to impact and that there needs to be, or we're looking for companies that whereby um, commercial scale and positive impacts are correlated. We believe that it is uh, the it is if, if we don't do that, there will always be a core or a dichotomy between um, doing good and doing well. And we believe that in this decade of action and in the current urgent need uh, to uh, to redirect capital flows towards positive impact, we need to have more examples of companies and funds that generate that generate strong financial returns alongside positive impact. So we're looking for companies that uh, have the potential to correlate uh, big positive impacts, uh, planetary impacts, as well as commercial returns. And uh, then we analyze, we carry due diligence, we speak a lot with the founders, we check for uh, business potential, impact potential, the team, the market, obviously also the, the structure and the, 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 the terms of the deal. And once we have confidence that there's intentionality, there's true potential impact, etc., then our goal is to invest capital at the pre-seed stage, so really, really early stage, typically earlier than what most institutional capital is able to do. Uh, so we're not afraid of going really early stage and to mitigate the risks of coming in so early and to also maximize the chances of each entrepreneur to succeed. We also invest a lot of operational resources, which is internally built within our team and our broader collective of people who have expertise in technology, impact management and measurement, marketing, finance, operations, HR, product, etc., to really work with the entrepreneurs and maximize their chances of succeeding uh, at scale. Yeah, when you get in that early, I mean, to me, it sounds like you have so many resources for them to kind of, you know, help guide them through as well. Would you say that you kind of look at yourselves as, as like a partner with these companies and, and say, hey, look, we want to welcome you in and we're part of this journey together now? 
Yeah, I think partner is probably the most uh, broadly encompassing word we could use. Uh, we used to refer to ourselves as a venture studio and now we're evolving more towards a venture capital uh, model because we see many deals, we have lots of co-investment opportunities uh, referred to us by other VCs, other entrepreneurs, etc., uh, as well as our LPs. So we become more of a traditional pre-seed and seed uh, VC fund. Um, so, but we intend to also be really helpful, value add, and involved as possible to work with the entrepreneurs, because we think that is how we do value creation. That's how we maximize the chances of real impact. And obviously, we want to build a reputation with entrepreneurs and with other co-investors and so on, that we are really helpful as much as we can so that people speak highly of us and that becomes a flywheel of entrepreneurs wanting us to be on the cap table. We've actually uh, win, won some competitive deals recently with entrepreneurs who wanted to have us on the cap table because they knew a bit of our reputation. They knew how helpful we could be. They've seen in due diligences that we were asking the right questions, that we would really be involved with them, etc. And that is something that they value. And that's why they want us to be on the cap table. So um, it's a long game. Obviously, we are still really early stage in building that reputation, but uh, that's what we intend to do for the long term. Yeah, and to me, that sounds like it shows a lot of investment and, and not just financial investment, right? Like I, what I'm talking is investment into that founder, into those companies, especially at that, you know, such an early stage where there's not going to be a big team with the startup or anything of that nature as well. So yeah. those important questions are, are really valuable. And on that as well, when you're doing all this, are there important traits or like key traits that you kind of see that are kind of consistent across the board that some of these companies have or maybe the founders have as individuals? Yes. Yeah, so the companies, um, they all tackle a big problem. Um, and we're really trying to look for companies that are have the potential to make a meaningful dent into each of the problem. Most of the companies that we see are climate technologies, but we also see the broader set of sustainability companies around the other impact themes that I mentioned, like biodiversity, plastics, and resource depletion, etc. But mostly what we see is climate technologies, and we are not too interested in companies that can have only a marginal less um, harmful way of doing things, but really trying to look for companies that can really move the needle on the climate crisis on a certain sector, on a certain country or whatever it is. But we need to have um, real proof. And if the entrepreneurs haven't done enough homework, we're happy to do that with them beforehand if there is a true interest from us to invest. Uh, so that is one thing we're definitely looking for. Obviously, we're looking for companies that have a sustainable business model so we don't really want to have companies that, uh, uh, you know, will figure out the business model later. We want to see a clear path to a business model fairly quickly uh, because that's um, also about financial sustainability. Uh, we look at the team very quick, very, uh, very in-depth. So the team dynamics, the founders, what is their background, what is their motivation, what is their purpose. So we really check for intentionality. Um, one question that we always ask, which is extremely simple, but also very informative, is why did you start the company in the first place? And if you really dig into what is the true intent of the founder, I think that informs a lot on uh, why the company exists. And um, in most cases, when it's really purpose-driven, mission-driven, 
I think there's a lot more resilience. There's a lot more potential for perseverance. There's a lot more um, long-term thinking in the way the company is built and as such more potential for impact and commercial success. So that is really something that we look for. Then we look for um, entrepreneurs that we think are going to be aligned with our ethos. Uh, so we're really, um, you know, very, uh, um, we, we have very uh, strongly ingrained values in the way we do business in terms of just simple integrity, transparency, empathy, inclusion, uh, boldness as well, and really trying to do the right thing always. And that is something that we try to sense as early as we can with the founders, that we think we're going to be aligned with them from a values perspective and that we just vibe with as well because it's a long-term partnership. It's meant to be a potentially seven, ten years partnership. And so we get into uh, romantic partnerships uh, very uh, carefully in our lives. And I think sometimes we uh, take um, not enough consideration of the fact that a business partnership, uh, when it comes to shareholding, is meant to be for many, many years. And so obviously we can have many of them, but we still should be really careful because you don't want to do business with uh, people you don't um, align with values-wise for five, seven, ten years. So that is also something we try to, as much as possible, look for early on. And last but not least, we look at the deal, the quality of the deal, the terms, how much the company is raising, their capital efficiency, uh, what is the valuation of the company, because we want to come in early at fairly low valuation as compared to the broader venture market, etc. And so then we come to an agreement, uh, typically as co-investors alongside other investors, and then we go ahead and then then comes the portfolio support and their true uh, value creation. Yeah, yeah, I love that as well. I, I really enjoy how, how you guys help early. You know, you don't really see that as often um, these days as well as coming in at that pre-seed and, and really the early stage round and stuff. And to me, it sounds like a, a lot of that focus is, I guess, a question I would have that kind of pops up in that front is how much do you weigh the solution? that the company is providing, you know, the problem they're trying to solve versus the weight of the founder's mission and intent and, and character and purpose. Because I feel at that early stage, if the founder's right, and maybe you have more knowledge and that founder might just be a little bit off on maybe their solution, you can come in and really advise and help on that. And then the founder can adapt. Or is it the other way around where you look more at the solution and then the founder, you just kind of help mold? I guess both are necessary. Uh, so the problem space for us is quite well identified. The solution space is to an extent fairly identified. Uh, for example, when it comes to climate change, we refer quite a bit to the framework of uh, Drawdown, which you might be familiar with, uh, that lists about 100 solutions that are ranked by potential for um, long-term uh, reduction or removal of uh, X megatons or gigatons of uh, CO2 equivalent by uh, in, in, in a certain horizon in the future. Uh, I think it's 2050. So we look at that framework in terms of solution space to inform ourselves. We also do quite in-depth due diligence with experts. Some of them are part of our team and we also lean upon experts that are not necessarily part of our team as well. Um, that are generally keen to give us a hand on carrying due diligence just because um, it's about creating impact. It's bigger than ourselves, so people tend to be quite collaborative in the space as well. And um, But obviously, you also need good founders. So we, need, we are not afraid of investing into young founders that don't have so much experience, 
but we need to check obviously for intent and purpose, but also we need to ensure that the founders has what it takes to build a company. It is um, extremely uh, difficult endeavor to build a company uh, in the long term to succeed at um, building, founding, operating, uh, and managing, and potentially exiting a company. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of resilience, perseverance. It takes a lot of tears, sweat, sometimes blood. <laughs> so it's, um, uh, we really check for founders that have the right pedigree or the right, um, the right skill set. Even if it's not there, at least we must see potential for the founder to become a, a successful founder in the long term. Absolutely. And, and I'd be curious too, because you've talked about this a little bit as well. I, I know that you jumped in and you enjoy that early stage investing at that level. It's something that you know really well, expertise at. Uh, you mentioned your team at the beginning. I'd love for you to share a little bit more information about your team and, and everything that they provide and the people that you work close with and and, and how that kind of comes together and morphs into one unit that, that really pushes forward a solution. Yeah, very good question. Also because it also makes, uh, it's part of the specific way that we're organized. Uh, so a lot of VC firms are more organized around managing partners and then quite a pyramidal structure with principals and associates and analysts. That is not really the way we're structured. We've decided to set up what we've refer, we're referring to internally as the Satgana Collective, which is first an operational team of which part is part of an investment team that really sources, screens, uh, deals, and then speaks with the founders and carries the diligence, etc. So more the traditional investing set of things. But our operational team also comprises operational people that are going to be part of the value creation team. Uh, so we have people, again, in, in technology, in impact management, in marketing, uh, product, operations, uh, human resources, etc., finance, um, to really help the, the entrepreneurs. So it's not just words. It's literally we have a team that is dedicated for that. And then we have advisors that are uh, ad hoc available to help us at the fund level or the portfolio level to really, again, work with us or the entrepreneurs on specific matters, either sectoral expertise or functional expertise. And uh, we have a board of directors as well, which is based in Luxembourg, which is where our fund is incorporated. So we try to create local substance, local um, uh, anchoring and local, um, uh, I would say, um, uh, ecosystem relationships. Uh, so yeah, we have different bodies, and we also have our LPs, some of which, some of whom are quite uh, involved with us, send us deals, are keen to speak with the founders, and really work with them, uh, which is also wonderful. Yeah, it's really great to hear because it sounds like it's it's really just a merge of the fantastic uh, pieces that you have in the each sectors within your company and organization, and then some external partners that you work with and things of that nature as well. You've mentioned the UN's uh, sustainability goals and things of that nature. Uh, what are the ones specifically that you are all kind of aligned with and that you seek out for these startups and companies to also be aligned with? Yeah. So we have picked six of the 17 uh, sustainable development goals as part of our main impact theory and investment thesis. The first one is SDG number 13 on climate action. Then we have SDG 15 on uh, life on land, and which is uh, partly related to forestation, deforestation, as well as biodiversity. We have uh, SDG 14 on oceans. We have SDG uh, 12 on responsible consumption, SDG 11 on uh, sustainable cities, 
and so all the environmental or most of the environmental SDGs. And then we also have one which is more social than environmental. It's SDG number five on gender equality, uh, because we are a gender lens fund that intends to really be intentional about gender. Uh, so we have um, majority, slight majority of women at all levels of the company, from the board to the operational team and the advisors. Currently at the portfolio level, we don't have a majority of women. That is something that we're really striving for by uh, doing a number of things. We do partnership with um, female, network, female entrepreneurship networks. We do a lot of education, blogging, social media, etc. on gender lens. We uh, also we are putting uh, clauses into our term sheets to really urge the founders to be intentional about recruiting uh, gender balanced teams. We even sometimes uh, speak to founders about the the their, the potential the the option of bringing a co-founder, a woman co-founder. So really trying to have more gender balanced teams, ideally founding teams. Uh, so yeah, gender is a big, uh, an important topic for us, uh, which is the only social. It's, so it's less in the what we invest into; it's more the how we invest, and then trying to embed that, embed that at all levels of our company and portfolio. Especially, we're trying to create more representation. I think that's fantastic from a gender level. I mean, there's no secret that uh, historically speaking, they have been underfunded and underrepresented there's no doubt about that um on that Indeed, note too and, and also it's about underrepresentation so we think it's the right thing to do from an ethical perspective but we also know that it's the right thing to do from a financial perspective because it's widely proven mckinsey bcg etc reports that show that gender balanced teams tend to largely outperform um financial um, non uh balanced teams. So for us, it's uh, we believe it's the right thing to do from an ethical perspective. And some people are very convinced, some people care less about it. But when you show that it's also the right thing to do from the financial perspective, then it becomes really easy for people to understand why we're so intentional about that. Yeah, especially, yeah, if you prove it, like you said, when you have that evidence there and, and money talks, money talks, <laughs> that's the world that we live in, uh, for better or worse, on that front as well. So I think that's great. Uh, with that as well, do you, do you encourage um, more diversity in, in hiring as well when, when growing a team too? And whether that's diversity of ethnicity or, or diversity of uh, race or diversity of whatever it might be, just to kind of bring more opinions into the room? Yeah, indeed. So we don't track those metrics, but we try to intuitively uh, feel like we're doing the right thing in terms of ethnicity, in terms of age, in terms of background, in terms of geography, to really have a broad set of representation. Uh, so we don't track those metrics. We don't intend to. Uh, we only intend to track gender metrics. But if you look at our team, you'd see that we have a very good representation in terms of all the uh, parameters, uh, so age, uh, ethnicity, background, and geography that I just mentioned. I saw that within the team. I was like, yeah, they're all over the place. Yeah, mm -hmm. represented really, really well. I love that on that front. You've mentioned some things about the, the UN sustainability goals that you've obviously are trying to align with and are aligned with. And then you've mentioned the startups that you're kind of looking for in the spaces, whether that's a lot with the climate tech or uh, plastics or, you know, all things of that nature as well. I'd be curious in your opinion or, or your team's opinion, is there a sector within that climate space and the ecological impact space that's maybe not getting enough attention that should be getting more attention that, that can really help solve with the climate crisis in your opinion? Yeah, it's a good question. So, um, 
There is actually a bit of data on that. There is um, a lot of money invested into climate. Uh, I think in 2021, if I'm not mistaken, it was about 40 billion that was invested into climate technologies, uh, which is nowhere near enough, but it's uh, growing really, really fast. And um, unfortunately, I would say a lot of this capital does not necessarily reflect the um, amount of greenhouse gases emissions that are emitted on a global basis. So most sectors have been invested into, but some of them have been disproportionately invested into, like mobility. And some of them are much less invested into, like industry and the built environment or buildings, for example. Uh, so mobility, uh, you know, electric mobility, um, I think following the Teslas of the world, Tesla is obviously a, a very prominent example of a climate tech company, if I can call it like this, that has been hugely commercially successful. And I think that has driven a lot of uh, interest and capital and also the maturity of, um, of electric mobility and electric vehicles in general has uh, steered a lot of capital in this direction. Energy has also received a lot of capital, which is also great because energy is responsible for a huge chunk of global greenhouse gases emissions. Uh, I would say food and agriculture is probably receiving about the right amount of capital in proportion. Uh, would need a lot more, but in proportion of total venture capital, uh, I think it's, it's about reflecting the equivalent of uh, greenhouse gases emissions, but some of them are not receiving as much, like industry, say, uh, cement alternative, steel alternatives, uh, sustainable textiles, heating and cooling, etc., are uh, right now underfunded areas, in our opinion. We also think that there is a lot of investment that needs to happen in carbon removal, which is starting to be really the case, um, especially for the past few months. There's been a big um, uh, spike of interest into carbon removal, both for nature-based and engineering-based engineer -based, uh, solutions, which is great. We need a lot more um, because it's a really long-term investment. Technologies are nowhere near ready to do large-scale carbon removal at the moment, so we need more of that. We need more investments into circular economy as well, um, because that is also touching on other um, uh, environmental KPIs, such as uh, resources depletion as well. So it's not only climate, it's also other environmental metrics. Plastics as well can be affected. So circular economy is really a key area of interest. And um, yeah, I think the, the climate tech uh, ecosystem right now is booming, which is great. And we, need, we just need a lot more. Yeah, we need to keep the positive momentum going and, and really keep kind of uh, moving forward on that front as well. And, and so on yeah. that note and, and, and moving forward with that, you know, say, hey, there's a company out there listening right now that might fit your uh, criteria and your requirements of that nature as well. What can they do to, to get involved with potentially working with, uh, with you guys and the team that you have over there at Satgana? I want to just take a quick moment to share what I've been learning over the course of the last few weeks, talking to a lot of these companies that are right in the weeds and are in the battle of fighting climate change and fighting the crisis and working on it, providing solutions to this problem. And something that I feel like that gets lost in translation, especially when we are focused in on our own politics in the US, for example, or in other parts of Europe or Australia or things of that nature as well, is we get kind of lost in our own little world. And when we think about climate change, we think about how it affects us and things of that nature as well. And while that's important, it's natural, it's human nature to kind of think about how things affect you, right? Uh, we should be more cognizant and aware of how it affects places that really aren't responsible for climate change, right? Africa, you heard uh, Roman say this, 3%, that's it, just 3%. 
That's significantly less than the U.S., China, parts of Europe, and things of that nature. Yet Africa is struggling as well. We learned a lot of part of that in the One Acre Fund episode with the farming and agriculture in Africa and what they deal with with the local farmers over there, primarily women with kids and things of that nature as well. These are the people that are really getting hit the hardest with the effects of climate change. And I think it's really important that we take some time to really uh, diversify our, per- our perspectives a little bit and put ourselves in the shoes of others and, and really think about what our choices do and how that impacts other parts of the world and other people on that front. And I think companies like Satgana, companies like the One Acre Fund, startups that are providing these solutions to help solving this problem will go a long way into the greater good of the overall scope of humanity on that front as well. So I just wanted to quickly share that because it's something that's been eye-opening to me talking to these people and understanding what these other people are going through in parts of the world that, you know, quite frankly, we just don't think about all that often when you're in uh, Seattle, Washington, or New York, or Austin, or London, or Munich, or wherever that might be, Lisbon. So I think it's really important uh, that we do take some time, open our perspectives, and be aware of that when we move forward with some of our choices as consumers with the companies that we buy from and things of that nature as well. So I just wanted to share that quick message with that. Now let's go back and talk more about Satgana and ways you can get in contact with them if you're a founder, ways that you can help as well. But I have one request and that's just to tell a friend and you know, let people know and be mindful of that next time these conversations come up. That's just not all about us, that there are other people out in the world as well. Let's jump right back into this episode. We receive a lot of deal flow. We're always happy to look at new companies that are early stage and build technology, business solutions that can have a meaningful impact on the climate ecological and ecological crisis. So uh, they can find us easily on our website. They can send us their pitch deck or directly apply. We have an application form on the website and we, are, we respond to all applications, which is uh, also something that we really strive to do. And um, we take calls with a number of uh, the applications that we receive, the ones that we think may be a fit, and we take it from there. So yeah, very happy to hear from any entrepreneurs building some such solutions. Fantastic. And and for that, uh, so everybody knows that's listening on the audio device right now, it is uh, sagana.com is the website. That's S-A-T-G-A-N-A dot com as well. And of course, we'll have that show notes and social media and all that good stuff as well for you. Uh, moving forward. Uh, for people, you mentioned that you, you make a lot of content and, and whether that's through social media channels with doing, uh, you know, gender equality and then things of that nature, obviously pushing forward the message of the, the climate crisis and stuff like that as well. Uh, where, where are some spots on social media and things of that nature as well where people can get educated, find this content and, and become a little bit more aware? Yeah, thanks for asking. So we're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, a little bit of TikTok as well. We try to play around a bit with it, but uh, we yeah, don't have a lot to dive of into TikTok. <laughs> yeah, but most of the content is, I would say, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. So feel free to follow us. We put together uh, great content on a daily basis. Fantastic. And again, we'll certainly have those available in the uh, show notes as well. So it's easy uh, to, to get and follow and, and be of use on that front as well. And, you know, you've, you've talked a little bit about this throughout the, uh, throughout the episode, kind of sprinkled in. Uh, but I would love to hear what your long-term goals are. You know, you mentioned four years ago, this kind of started popping into your head, this idea, you know, like I need to do something, you know, that identity crisis or that you said you were having. And I would love to hear how that's evolved over the last few years and where you hope to take Satgana in the future and, and the impact you hope to have as, as being somebody that's working hard to provide the solution to help us all solve uh, this climate crisis that we have. 
Yeah. So about four years ago, I was a bit confused until I decided to launch the company. And uh, obviously for a while, there was always a question of whether it's going to work or not. Now it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we reach our goals and in what scale we reach them. Uh, but um, it's just a matter of continuing. So basically I made a, a very clear commitment that um, this is uh, the company of my life. This is what I'm going to do for the decades to come. And so we want to invest in many such companies. Uh, we are raising capital. So obviously uh, we have done the first closing of our fund, which is great, but we need to raise a lot more. That is fund one, and um, that will be deployed over the next four years. The timeline of the first fund is 10 years, which means that we will raise a fund two, fund three that will probably be, um, that have will probably have a geographical um, uh, focus, uh, probably one for Europe, one for emerging markets in the long term. So we want to raise a series of funds, potentially thematic funds, potentially uh, with certain LP partners that would uh, want to work with us on certain topics, geographies, etc. So a very long-term goal of being a meaningful impact investor that deploys capital and operational and strategic resources into the innovators, the true heroes that build the solutions to get us out of this climate and ecological emergency. We're aligned in our uh, our mission and goal, right? I love it. It's fantastic what you guys are doing at, at Sargano Roman, and, and I'm a huge fan of it. And again, I, I really, really like how you, you get in early with some of these startups uh, and these founders as well is something that you know. I think it's a critical stage to to be an ally, to be a partner with these companies to really help them push that solution forward. I think a lot of them have great solutions. Sometimes they just need help on the operations side or things of that nature as well to really push it forward. So on that note, I'd love for you to to give or I'd love to give you the opportunity to to share anything that you would like to add that maybe we missed in the show or anything like that that you want people to know. Yeah, I'm sure. I guess. Um... One other ancillary goal that we have, uh, which is less our direct tangible impact, uh, but more of the intangible, which I think is equally important, is um, our willingness to also do the right thing, be public about what we do and inspire many others to jump on this ship, which is trying to have impact uh, trying to do the right thing and part of it obviously for us is uh, generating uh, very strong financial returns because we think that if we manage to show that it's possible to generate very strong financial returns like we expect as well as impact then as you said money talks will increase will increase the capital flows into the impact investing space and that is also part of our mission and we want many more people to invest for impact to work for impact to be interested in impact, to become more educated, etc. So just to have more people working on this big problem. And um, yeah, I think uh, we need all kinds of skills. We need all hands up on deck. We need people who um, invest. We need people who build companies. We need people who do podcasts. We need people who uh, do media education. We need all hands on deck um, because we're all in this together. Well, I'll tell you what, I really look forward to monitoring your guys' success in the future as you move forward and the companies that you do bring on and that you do work with. You know, we need more VCs like yourselves out there who are really working in the climate tech space to help solve this big issue, uh, especially in places like Africa, you know, where we talked about earlier, you know, they're they're suffering from a lot of our, uh, you know, 
issues that we've caused. So uh, love what you guys are all doing over there. Super excited to, um, you know, monitor your success in the future and, and make some connections potentially as well. And I thank you so much for coming on the podcast and the show. I, I think you had some great content today and, and really enlightened some listeners. And I'm sure I'm sure everybody listening right now, I know you are. I know you're listening going, oh, that was a good episode. He, he knows what he's doing over there. So go ahead, give them a follow on the social media platforms um, that he mentioned before. If you are uh, a founder that qualifies for this, reach out. They gave a possibility for you to make it an application. They make it easy for you. Again, on the website, that's S-A-T-G-A-N-A dot com, satgana.com. Uh, and Roman, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and for all the great work you're doing. Thanks, Will. Very much appreciate that. That is the founder and CEO of Satgana, Roman Diaz, joining us here on the Talking Solutions podcast. And that's going to wrap up this episode. As always, for more information, you can always check out the show notes. Go to the website, cheshtech.com backslash Talking Solutions podcast. We'll have all the links available for Satgana for you to follow. Get more information on if you are a founder and you're interested and you have a startup that qualifies for this, reach out or reach out to me and be happy to make a, a connection for you as well. So if you enjoyed the episode, as always, I ask for just a simple request. Give a nice little five-star rating if you enjoyed it so much. Subscribe, follow, do all that type of good stuff. Uh, help us spread the mission for some uh, positive impact companies that are providing solutions to some of our societal problems. So until next time, I hope everybody has a great rest of their week. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions Podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode and check out all of our guests on our website at cheshtech.com. That's C-H-E-S-H-T-E-C-H.com to learn more as we continue our mission of supporting impact-driven founders. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talking Solutions Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talking Solutions. If you like this episode, I'd really appreciate a review and a recommendation to a friend as we focus on highlighting these great founders and individuals providing solutions to societal problems and bringing optimism into the world.